All right, welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. Time we got a broadcast. This is good to be back together, man. Got the yeah, band back together. So, of course, on the radio or on the radio on the mics, we've got Connor Herter and Bryce Scusi. My name is Charlie Ungemach, and our special guest today, Colin Maurice. Colin Maurice. Mm. Colin, you were made to sit in that chair drinking a beer, man. <laughs> you just look so content. <laughs> I this love recliners. Awesome. This is awesome. That's going to be my first serious purchase once <laughs> I have a salary. <laughs> my uh, when I when I graduated from MLC, like a couple of years after that, I moved in with the guy that's now the band director at Wisco, mm-hmm. and we were both single, both pushing thirty, and we had matching side by side recliners in front of the TV. Just like it friends. was awesome. It was so <laughs> great. It was awesome. And then he got a girlfriend, and they got married, and things got weird, man. Weird is in that like it was weird for me to live like it's not weird between us. It's just oh no, there's a yeah. reason why it was weird, and I know, and I found out personally <laughs> why it's weird. I don't know if we've ever brought it up on the podcast before, but yeah, I know exactly why it got weird. Well, they got to explain because it's not as bad as you're making it sound. Oh no, you can tell you it's, can tell them what okay. you did, what you did to me. I have a problem with ice cream. It's like, it's not that good of a story. I, okay. So, he destroyed half my quart of ice cream. And <laughs> if then, there's ice cream in the freezer, I'm going to eat it. Oh, you know? and yeah, it became a reoccurring problem. Not even like scoop it into a bowl. It became like an such a problem. Like, it became a legitimate problem, like in my in a relationship with, not with Connor, but with the other dude. It was like, yeah, I don't buy it. It was cream genuinely, it was genuinely like a problem in our like roommate relationship that I kept eating his ice cream. <laughs> It was a big deal. Anyway, welcome. <laughs> We're going to start off with uh, thank yous and shout outs. What you got, Bryce? Well, I guess uh, I want to say give a shout out to Zach Shoreline. It's just Man, a, I haven't seen Shore forever. Yeah. He's a pretty cool guy. He's so. a cool dude. When did you run into him last? Oh, not until... Or it was a couple months ago. Couple and by a couple ago. months ago, I mean like October. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what are you shouting him out for? He's just, he's a good friend. He's a good guy. <laughs> what makes him a good friend? This is not a yes or no question. Uh, yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. No, if you don't know Zach Shoreline, he is probably one of the most genuine guys, and he'll give it to you straight, whether you like it or not. And I don't know, I just miss being around him, so... Figure I shout him out. Yeah. So, yep. Always ready for a big old handshake or a hug or something, too. Absolutely. Good Connor, what you got? Uh, for this week, I am going to be shouting out all the men in my section for class today who, after witnessing me dump half my cup of coffee all over my laptop, immediately jumped oh, up. I thought you said your lap, not your no, laptop. No, my laptop. Yeah, on my laptop. Oh, no. Yeah. Is it working? It works, but the keyboard doesn't respond. Okay. So... I have a wireless keyboard I'm going to be taking with me to class, but as soon as I dumped it all over the laptop, about three or four jumped up and ran and grabbed paper towel and a trash can and stuff like that. Was this during class? It was the first hour with Bivens. Like, I was just trying to, I was actually trying to copy and paste the notes for this show into into (laughs) OneNote, and I reached forward to hit the paste button, I just knocked my coffee cup on top of it. Because I do the same thing, I opened my coffee cup, let the coffee cool down, and just knocked it all over my laptop. I will say it made my heart a little bit glad this morning when I went to copy and paste it myself, like to make a copy myself, and I saw all three of your names at the top of it at mm-hmm. the same time. I was like, "Yeah, the boys mm-hmm. are getting ready." Mm-hmm. Cool, awesome, uh, Colin. 
you know, I should have had a shout out because I read the show notes. I promise you saw that. I did. <laughs> I, we did. We saw that you did. We saw that you did. Um, probably Zach Teal. He's been, he was my roommate for two years at MLC, but now he's my table mate. Ooh. He got married, so I can't live with him anymore. Yeah. But I do get to see relate. him all day. I can relate. All these dudes being selfish and getting married. For sure. <laughs> leaving us, leaving us behind. Teal's a good dude. Yeah. Teal's a good dude. Salt of the earth. Good guy to be around always. Genuine guy. You're going to be a better man if you hang around him. He'd be wildly uncomfortable hearing us say that. Mm -hmm. Too bad. He's not here. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, I'm going to shout out Mount Lebanon for giving me a chance to coach basketball this season. I loved it. I loved it. We had the uh, teacher or staff versus students game today. We won by 10. Never, (laughs) never bet against the teachers. Never bet against the teachers. It's been a roller coaster from the roommate perspective listening to you come back and talk about your your successes and some of your failures too so yeah it's been a lot of fun for my end i became a fan by the end of the cool season good that's awesome that's, that means a lot to me yeah no but is it i love coaching and i wasn't sure i was going to get another chance to do it for at least for a while and so when they asked me to do it i i was pumped and it, it was it was awesome it was a lot of fun so thank you mount lebanon we're also going to shout out the Zabel family from West Bend. They bought us several cups of coffee. We call it a cup of coffee donation because for the price of a cup of coffee, you can help support the ministry we're doing with young men. If you'd like to support or help fund the work we do here at Gird Up, go to www.girdup.com, select buy us a cup of coffee in the main menu, and make your donation there. So thank you to the Zabel family. We appreciate it. All right. Manly quote of the week. Jean-Jacques Rousseau said, Virtue is a state of war, and to live in it, we have always to combat ourselves. Virtue is a state of war, and to live in it, we have always to combat with ourselves. What do you think? Well, I think we start off by defining what do we mean by virtue. And so mm-hmm. like, if you go with the Google definition of what virtue is, it says to do what is honorable and right. And I think that is going to play in a lot to what we're going to talk about later in the show, including the the Bible passages that we have for today for consideration. But just in that general sense of doing what is right to do what is honorable, I think it's a great quote because it is a constant battle to to want to do what is right because it's so easy to do what is easy and what is wrong. I mean, if that makes sense. And to that point, say again what your definition was. Uh, to do what is right or honorable. So that is going also going to change and shift depending on what like your personal values are, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. And so we live in a world at the moment where everything is relative, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's the last uh, man talk that I did was all about, well, it was really about critical theory, but we talked a little bit about relativism mm-hmm, also. Mm-hmm. So if my, um, I mean, that's essentially what happens with the death of God um, is like we don't have a an absolute morality anymore. So I get to ter- determine what my reality, what my not what my reality is, what my morality is, and so I get to decide what's good and bad and what is and isn't virtuous. Mm-hmm. So we end up living in a world where everybody's virtue signaling, but nobody can agree on what virtue actually is. Right. Yeah. Right. Which can get weird and bizarre. Which I like, you know, that you're already looking forward to the Bible passages things because that's mm-hmm. exactly what determines what my virtue and morality is exactly. as a Christian. Yeah. I, I took it just from the good old-fashioned virtue of doing the right thing. And it, it is a battle 
I wanted to disagree with it when I saw it, but I, I think it is really good. The devil really loves when we're mediocre and just mm-hmm. skating by. And to be a man of God is to excel. There's no such thing as standing still, right? If you think you're standing still, you're moving backwards. Yeah, you're either moving like forwards or you're moving backwards. There is no such thing as standing still. Yeah. Um, I wanted to tie it with Romans 7, right? The section where it's famous because at the end of it, well, um, starting at verse, like the whole, all of Romans 7 is talking about like kind of man doing battle with himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but the last five verses, um, so I find it to be a law when I want to do right, evil lives, evil lies close at hand. It could help if I could read. Mm-hmm. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and ma- taking and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my, with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So that idea of... You know, it's almost that, like, uh, I don't know, different cultures will just talk about it different ways, like yin-yang, or the two wolves, like you got two wolves living inside of you, and you know whichever one you feed is the one that, you know, what, however you want to talk about that. I do have this dual identity as a child of God, where Christ lives in me, and empowers me to do what is right and good, and yet I still also have this sinful man that's living in me. And Luther famously said, wake up every morning and drown him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was also curious to make the religious connection, too, because it sounds a lot like what you just said in Romans 7. So I went down a little rabbit hole of, uh, how, how do you say his name? Jean-Jacques Rousseau? Or how Jacques. Do you say? Jacques? Yeah. Okay. So yes, him. And when I was doing some research on it, it said that he believed in man, was, man is born ultimately good, but then mm-hmm. mankind corrupts. That, that good in them. So he believed in there is an ultimate good and ultimate evil, and they're always at battle with one another. And after I read that, I was like, oh, that makes total sense why he would say this, mm-hmm. because he just looks at it as waging war in all facets of life. So you make a good point. It would significantly shift your attitude if you understood yourself to ultimately be good, right? Or to be good by nature. How does it change? Like, why does it matter that we understand that we are not by nature good. Well, I think in the one fashion, if you if you look at life as there is an ultimate good and then the world corrupts that, that good within you, you take the idea of being virtuous or attempting to be virtuous as a return to that simpler time, whereas Christ, as Lutheran Christians, we tend to view it as we're completely corrupt from the minute we're conceived, and so rather than trying to return to some former state, we are looking for something else, in our case, Christ and God, to give us the path to live a virtuous life. Yeah, I really like the way we talk about fallen from. I like the way we talk about fallen from perfection, that it's not that we're ultimately good or ultimately bad, but that we, we as a race, we had perfection and it lasted for about a generation, and then the <laughs> ten thousand since then have been slipping further and further from what was once good. Yeah, I mean, even just the motivation of what to that point, the motivation of why we try and do what's right anyway. Like we don't try and do what is good and right, um, like 
because we've been called to or something. Right? Yeah. We, yeah. we do what is good and right to glorify God with our lives and to preserve and protect our faith. Mm-hmm. Like if the law is, the law simply states what God's expectations are. So if I could keep the law perfectly, I would be perfect. Right? I cannot do that, and yet I strive to be the man that God created me to be, Right, that I was designed to be, knowing I will never get there, but recognizing that in that pursuit, right, I'm essentially safeguarding my faith because I'm not going to do the things that are poisonous to my soul. Yeah, and it also speaks to the complete helplessness that we have in being able to do it ourselves. I think of, I can never get the book chapter and verse down but the but the the message rings through my head all the time the good i want to do that i do not do but that which i do not want to do this i keep on doing and that i mean that's that's huge i mean we aren't able to do these things on our own that's the reality of the situation we're in in our fallen state yeah it also comes from romans chapter 7 just earlier on yeah so but that idea that lutheran idea like um which one i think maybe whichever one of you said it right that lutheran ideal of keeping my sanctification and my justification yeah. separate mm-hmm. right yeah if yeah i was use just the gonna jargon. bring that up i don't really know what uh russo's perspective on sanctification is but we almost take it for granted that we are capable to engage in righteousness that the person born in sin and living in sin really can't do a single righteous thing truly can't do a single righteous thing but because of what God has done for us, uh, our new status with God is capable of worldly righteousness. And it's expected of us. Yeah. Right. But not expected of us as a way to earn righteousness. Mm. Righteousness is gifted, and because it's been gifted to me, our now, response. Yeah. yeah. Now it's expected of me. Awesome. Any last word on that? Word. Word. Awesome segue. All right, we're gonna uh, we're starting a new book this week. So our um, you picked a good one. I, I'm pumped. Really I'm one. pumped. I've, so I've read this one before. Kosti and I read it together over the summer a couple of years ago, um, and uh, I wanted to read it again with you guys, partially because I wanted you guys to read it, and then partially just because I want to read it again. <laughs> so it's it's a good one. Um, so our new series is um, going to be based around Men on Fire by Stephen Mansfield. Um, I'm a fan of Stephen Mansfield. I very much enjoy his writing. Um, I read or listen to, depending on how much time I have, uh, his Killing Jesus every year during Lent. Um, the last couple of years that I've been in Minnesota, I just listened to it on the drive back to back home for the Easter holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, but very much have enjoyed that book, which just walks through um, the last couple weeks of Jesus' life. So it actually starts at the beginning with Herod um, Antipas. And it kind of explains what all is going on in Jerusalem at the time, and then walks through you know, Holy Week and the whole day, like the whole day of Jesus' death, and then kind of ends with the resurrection. And I don't agree with all of his his theological implications and things like that, but it's an excellent book. Uh, but he also wrote one of my favorite books on masculinity, which is Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, which is a facetious title. It's a silly <laughs> title, but it is a it's a fantastic book. It's just a collection of stories about manhood and masculinity and great men throughout the centuries and it, it's an excellent excellent read uh, but he also wrote like the book the search for god in guinness he wrote the faith of the american soldier he's got this long list of books um, but in my opinion this is the best work he's done on masculinity 
itself. And if you don't get fired up reading this, man, yeah. I don't know. You don't have a pulse. You don't have a pulse. So all we read for today is the forward by Scott Hamilton, the figure skater, uh, which <laughs> you wouldn't think a male figure skater would be yeah. the guy writing a forward to a book about masculinity. He even kind of jokes about it in the forward. Um, but then he, uh, we also read uh, his own introduction um, into like why he wrote the book and what he what he sees the problem is um, in our world. So starting with the forward, I like I said I really enjoy. Like, I remember as a kid watching Scott Hamilton skate. Like I was, I feel like I was just at the uh, like, in 1984. Just, no, it was after the no. So like, well, right, exactly. So he was retired, but like from you know going to the Olympics and things like that. But he would do like charity shows and things like mm-hmm. that. So like you, on PBS at Grandma's house, you know, they'd they'd put on like a <laughs> Christmas show, and then he would one of the acts would be him skating and things like that. Uh, so I do remember like the very tail end of his skating career, um, and I I remember him being an outspoken Christian. And so then when I saw that he was doing the forward for this, it was, it was uh, kind of exciting and cool. Um, I I really, um, th- one of the first things he says is he points out, I don't know what uh, movie it's from, but he points out that Paul Rodriguez at some point in the movie just re- kept repeating the line, it's tough to be a man, baby, over and over and over again. And for some, I don't know, I don't know about you, but it was almost like a, already in the third, second, se- no, it's the first sentence of the book. Uh, it was already kind of a relief just to have somebody say it out loud. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I don't know if it's just our culture. I, th- I think to a degree it's our culture. Kind of like everybody else has problems, but white men, you know, you don't have any problems. You know, that or just yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it seems like we don't acknowledge very often that it can be quite difficult to be a man. And uh, I think there's a lot of times that's a difficult burden to carry. Uh, so right off the gates, I mean, you were Bryce mentioning like he, he just no holds barred, right? He does not care. He just goes right into it. So um, yeah, yeah. I, I think the one thing that hit me in this forward was when he was talking about the his changing role models in his life yeah and how he never really had a concrete set in stone yes this is who i want to grow up to be and then right after that he talks about when he got cancer and he's like cancer will open your up eyes up to a lot of things and he's like only then and only then was i able to um see the man that God wanted me to be. And recently I just lost my grandmother to cancer. And after reading that paragraph and that whole line of thought, I was sort of thinking to myself how true that is. Like calamity, disaster, sickness, illness. It'll sneak up on you and then you sort of just go, it rea- you get a reality check. And it drives you back to God and to where you need to be. And I thought that was really, I mean, cool in a sense. Like, it's not just this one, it's not just my family that was affected. This affects everybody. Yeah. And it's kind of cool to see that. Yeah. For me, that was kind of drawing a line. With, so, the, what he said word for word was, I didn't, uh, until cancer, I didn't know. How, that I desperately wanted to be the man God created me to be. Um, and I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's Thoreau said that most men live lives of quiet desperation. Mm-hmm. And uh, first of all, that's wildly condemning and I think generally true. Um, definitely, frankly, true true of 
many of the men I know, including myself at times. Um, but that idea of seeing this wake-up call, seeing the illness as a blessing because it provides clarity um, and kind of thanking God for the opportunity, I guess, to really see clearly what's going on, which is similar to what Bryce is saying. I, I feel like I've been, I personally have been blessed with a couple of different, like, real hard speed checks along the way <laughs> where you have to kind of look around and go, oh, is this, is this really who I want to be? Like, is this mm-hmm. really where I want to be? Is this really what I want to be doing? Is this really what, you know, to use his verbiage, really sets my heart on fire? You know, is, it, is this really who I want to be and what I want to be? And by the grace of God, I had a bunch of those early, which kind of changed my path. Um, and I don't think I would have, like, without some difficulty and some hardship, I'm not sure I would have ever come around. Um, yeah, so it's interesting to hear somebody else talk about it from that perspective. Yeah, I think looking back on my life, the the parts where I was focused on identity and self-definition were when everything was shaking and you kind of find out what's sturdy and surprise God is what's sturdy. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's not when everything looks steady that you really get to see that in action. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've never <clears throat> like one of the things that I didn't relate with the most was the changing uh, like the lack of having a positive role model in my life. Cause for me, I've always been blessed to have a father who's been a fantastic role model to me. And I've been a very appreciative of that. But one of the things I did relate with a lot was the idea of having experiences in my life that were very humbling. Uh, I've talked about it before on this podcast before and with a lot of the guys here already, but like the fact that I was so sure and so set on being a pastor all the way up until President Zarling at Martin Luther College called me at the beginning of the summer after my first year and was like, hey, so uh, you did really bad academically this year. We want you to take a year off. I was like, yeah, but like, I love talking about Jesus. Like, do the, do the grades really matter that much? And like, that was a very humbling experience. And then it was just about six years of humbling experience after humbling experience that uh that helped put me back into the right mindset and there were plenty of nights where i sat there going i have no idea what i'm doing with my life and i don't really know who i am as an individual right now and so getting back around all the men that i'm surrounded with surrounded with now today has been a huge blessing in my life well i am so much happier and more content oh, yeah. like on a daily basis like there's so much more joy in my life so much more enjoyment. Even on the tough days, I have so much more purpose and vision mm-hmm. in my life now than I did when things started falling apart. And I was like, I just got to get back to where I was. Mm-hmm. Like, well, thank God I didn't because I'm in a far better place now. And if I had gotten all the things I wanted then, I wouldn't, I don't think I would have ever gotten this far, if that makes sense. Yep, absolutely. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. As far as the, his own in- introduction goes, Man, that um, was good. <laughs> yeah, so good. Man, he he knows how to fire you up for sure. I'll just say right <laughs> off the bat, like I think initially I'm going to push back on something you said toward the beginning of this talk, where you talked about how we might point to culture as the reason why men are being the way that we are. Like I think he kind of goes the opposite direction of that, and he says right away, like the only reason 
men are the way they are in today's world is because we've allowed ourselves to get to this point. And I took that right, like page 14, right away at the beginning of the book. I talk, he talks about how it's not our father's fault. It's not the women around us because we've never given up anything to women that women have not taken anything from us that we haven't already given up to them. What a lie. Say that, that again. <laughs> he said, it's not our fathers and it's not women because women have taken nothing from us except that we've willingly given up to them. Amen. So, yeah. And so that was huge just right off the bat saying like the only finger that you can point is back at yourself. Like that was, that was huge. And to that point, it's an interesting perspective. Um, somebody I, I didn't discover this myself. A pastor pointed it out to me a few years ago. If you read through like the book of Timothy or the two letters to Timothy, you read through First Peter, you read these sections of scripture that um, it makes it sound like there's a lot of demands on men, right? Um, and, and there are a lot of demands on for men, sure. laid on men in scripture. And then there's basically nothing for women. Yeah. Right? Um, and... Uh, you get into these weird spots where you're going like, well, but what about like the Bible doesn't talk to women and, and blah, blah, blah. Say what essentially scripture is doing is pleading with men to fulfill their role and saying, all right, girls, you know what to do. Go do it. All right. And pleading with the men not to abdicate their role. Mm -hmm. And so the real issue in the church, the real issue in the world that we like in, in culture between men and women isn't that women are usurping men's authority. The issue is that men aren't stepping up and doing what they've been yeah, called to do and up being what they've been role. called to be. Yeah. yeah. And if men would step, like, this will tick off the feminists, but I don't really care. Not a lot are listening. Ooh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. I have a hard time imagining a woman would bristle at submitting to the kind of man that is defined in scripture as a man after God's own heart. Yeah. If you are able to be all of the things that are listed in scripture that like are required of male leaders in the church and in their families, if you're able to be all those things, a woman's not going to have a problem saying, yep, he's my leader. He's yeah. my head. He's my, you know, he's the head of the house. He's my Husband. Husband, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, that's the word. <laughs> right? I, 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 and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I have a hard time imagining somebody would look at that and go, oh, <laughs> he would even give up his life for me. Everything he does every day is all about my benefit. Absolutely. I don't want that. You know? It's yeah. when we abdicate that position that there ends up being animosity between men and women. What do you think? On page fifteen, he describes the two different types of men that are popularized on like TV and in television shows. What do you think of that? Like, because for me, like he said it right away. Like those are the type of men that I want to kill. Like not like actually like, go out and kill, but the <laughs> well, image sometimes. of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like from from page fifteen, he talks about how there's two types of men. There's the idiot, who like he he beats he kind of beats around the bush a little bit in saying it, but he's basically describing Homer Simpson. Like this, this fat, lazy guy who sits on the couch and drives his family crazy. And then you have the, you have the dog, which is just the over-sexually driven man that's greatest achievement in life, as he puts it, quote from the book, as is putting that $20 bill in some girl's underwear on stage. Like that's, 
those are the type of men that he wants to kill. And it's not the individual man itself, but it's the image of that man. And that it's the image that a lot of people hold of quote unquote masculinity in this world. But I mean, you look at, look at, um, like the, the sitcom mm-hmm. model, right? Oh yeah. Like every single sitcom, there's a woman who's got it together and a bunch of men around her mm-hmm. who couldn't find their rear end with their, yep, you know, like they, I, I don't know what the other end of that is. I don't with know a head start, we'll go with, with a head start, <laughs> right? They, yeah, I, they like they can't, can't find their shoes when they're looking at their feet, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like everything, like you think about New Girl, who's the one who's actually sensible? Yeah, it's the, it's the woman, yeah. right? You think about shows like According to Jim or uh, what's the one with uh, what's his name? Uh, the one with what's his name? Uh, yeah. yeah, that helps. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the King of Queens, or Everybody Loves Raymond, yeah. or like you just—the list goes on and on of like the shows that were on when we were kids, mm-hmm. right? Who's always the one with their head on, like with their head on straight? It's the wife. It's the woman, yeah. right? That, that Mr. and Mrs. Smith show that's on oh, on, yeah, uh, yeah, on Amazon yeah. that I've been watching. Who's the one who's like advancing through the ranks and really killing it yeah. as a, as a, as a spy and so forth? It's the woman. And it's the man who's holding her back, and she has to choose to make sacrifices to stay with him, right? Yeah. Or all the superhero movies. Who's the most powerful Mar- uh, Marvel superhero? It's, uh, it's Captain, Captain Marvel, Marvel yeah. who has no limits because she's a woman, yeah. right? And I'm not like, I'm not saying that we you can't have any women in these roles. Yeah. I'm saying at every turn, the depiction of men in popularized culture is no longer like the tv shows that you and i grew up with like tim allen like tim allen is is a yeah but he's (laughs) but he's like a guy who has his head on his shoulders he's got he's got his life figured out he's i guess virtuous maybe not the word but i i'd call him virtuous he's he's a masculine man cheats on his wife he's a good dad yeah and that show's kind of fallen off. I mean, it's still popular, but you don't see those type of shows coming out that idealize the strong, masculine man. And, that he, we want and, to see. and yet he's still a nut. Yeah. And his wife is still independent. Mm-hmm. She's probably, I mean, they never explicitly say it in the show. She's probably making more money than him. She's yeah. the breadwinner, right? And she, she, she does, she's a very intelligent, independent woman, mm-hmm. and yet chooses to be a submissive member of a nuclear family unit. Sure. How often do you see that on TV? Not often anymore. Have you ever heard the term himbo? No. H i m b o. It's like the oh, like a bimbo, but masculine a guy. version of bimbo. <laughs> oh, interesting. And really, in media, people are saying that that's become like the standard. So if you were to invert that, then you would get the strong, independent male. Oh, it's just interesting. it's like the the one that I always think of is Phil Dunphy in Modern Family. Is the doesn't have his head on his shoulders, guy. Yeah, has to lean on his wife. The whole thing you were saying, and even and even when he does succeed, it's like a surprise to everybody. You know, it's yeah. a big yeah. deal, yeah. and most like the audience is supposed to laugh at him. Mm-hmm. You know, like because oh, the like you know the blind dog found a bone. Great, yeah. yeah, you know. Or even on the flip side of that, the other guy that he was talking about the the dog, for lack of a better term, like there are plenty of shows out there that draw huge numbers of audiences that just have this like super aggressive i don't want to say alpha male but that's the only way i can describe it is alpha male individual that's over sexualizing everyone he runs across uh like a tv show that might show that is maybe lucifer like you've ever seen that mm. show 
mm-hmm. um like that is that's kind of his character in that whole show and i get that's not a good show that you shouldn't watch that please don't watch that it's not a that's not condoning right, but you that, have but that's the, the, idea. the quote-unquote i mean it, the world's idea of the quote-unquote traditional man mm-hmm. like the sexy man whatever mm-hmm. yeah. and he's lucifer himself yeah so Ooh, a man acting yeah. like a man and i'm not saying he's a good like He's not a virtuous man. I'm not saying that. No. But you have culture's definition of a man acting like a man, and he's the devil. Yeah. You know? So even even the subliminal messaging of this wicked man is man, and man is wicked. Yeah. Like, it's kind of that self-fulfilling circle. Mm. Or uh, rings of power, too. Like, rings of power. Like, you know, Grand rings of power was awful. Right? It was awful. We don't need to dwell <laughs> on all these shows. But rings of power was awful. <laughs> um, but you have this, like, subliminal... There was a scene... Um, in like the third ep, yeah, third episode or something like that, where there's these trolls come out, and there's the female dwarf main character, or not dwarf, elf main character, and there's like six other elves, right? And the troll fights off the six male elves, mm-hmm. and then the the female elf goes and with like in thirty seconds kills a bunch of different trolls and mm-hmm. saves everybody's lives and blah blah blah. N- not saying there shouldn't be any strong female characters anywhere. But there is a subliminal message there that women can do anything men are around. Yeah. You know? And that is something that, that can be difficult and damaging. I'm going to push back on your pushback on me. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> so Bryce is going to get in here eventually. Just gonna, no, worry, yeah. No, I'm really not pushing back. Just clarifying. I think um, our culture discourage. What I was pushing against our culture is this idea that you can even acknowledge that it's difficult to be a man. Okay. Right? So there's this cultural, I don't want to say cultural pressure, but imagine going to a grocery store, walking up to a random group of women and saying, man, it's really tough to be a man. Yeah. They would sure. laugh at you. Yeah. They would laugh in your face. Or imagine somebody like on these like YouTube shorts, you know, where they like walk up to people on college campuses. Imagine walking up to a group of young women on a college campus and saying, I think it's really hard to be a man. Like, yeah, it would go that viral, is, but not for often, the reasons we would want it to yeah, go viral. Yeah, it's often demonized. That, that, that's what I, I can was understand kind of where you're coming at. So, when I first read through this um, introduction, I immediately made the connection back to the foreword because in Scott Hamilton's last paragraph, he says, "Being a man isn't about the illusions mass media presents to us mm. as the way we should all live our lives." And you guys were sort of talking about that with TV shows and how things are portrayed. But when I read the Idiot Man and the Dog Man um, pictures, I immediately thought of social media. Because the main things on social media is, number one, body positivity. Mm. And sort of, it's okay if you're weak, weak, unhealthy. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just about you being who you are, essentially. And on the flip side of that, it's look at how successful I am. Look at all the things I'm doing. Look at all, essentially, look at all the women I'm getting. And that's the dog man. That's like, oh, alpha male, this, that. And you have these two different sides portrayed. And I sort of, well, I made that connection, idiot man, dog man, because that's just where social media is where you get all of it. Because you see everybody's posts about the the one side of the coin and then you see everybody's posts about the other side of the coin and you're getting no middle ground no truth of the matter it's only one extreme or the other extreme yeah i wanted to ask about where do you think the middle is like he obviously sets up the man who 
too good to be tied down by a woman or the man who is uh, such a failure that he can do nothing but be tied tied down by a woman. Where is the appropriate middle, the place where masculinity should be? Well, I would say it's a Venn diagram, except the third circle is like six feet away from the other two circles. <laughs> yeah, like so you're like you're drawing on a whiteboard in the front of a classroom, mm-hmm. and there's a Venn diagram like way over on the left, and then there's twelve feet of open space on the whiteboard, and then there's another circle over here on the right, and that's actual Christian masculinity, manhood. Like I, I would I would argue that it's something completely different from what's being portrayed because what is I mean the at the base of what's being portrayed in, in culture as masculinity, whether it's the dog man or whether it's the idiot man, idiot man right, is this, it's essentially selfishness, mm-hmm. right? It's whatever, I, I'm in it for me, whatever makes me happy, whatever serves me well, right? There is no selflessness in any of these people. Yeah, Men, women... Um, like regardless of who, who the character is, and so a, a Christian man is is I mean, that, and that's what uh, that's what he talks about on page fourteen is this idea of purpose, right? Um, we have a destiny to fulfill as men, but we are seldom told of it by those who came before us. We have a noble purposes to serve, but usually no one sounded the trumpet call and no one demanded that we rise to our manly best. What is our manly best? Our manly best is to strive valiantly in the service of our God and King, right? Which is ultimately selflessness, right? No matter what I do here, it will not be a credit on my account. I can simply kneel before the throne of God and work valiantly to do his will in in this world and pray that he will take me home. Mm -hmm. I would push back on that a little bit. I think the idiot man is like kind of the comedic uh, apex of submission that you're so submissive to a woman that you are pleased to just be in the in her handbag. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think to find the appropriate one, you need to take the opposite of both and put them together that it's not, it is totally self-sustaining masculinity is its own thing standing on its own. But with that power of self-sustainability, it's used to serve. That your peak is your peak in supporting yourself is never to support yourself, but to use the, I guess, stability that you have to build up others. Yeah, I think. No, you got something. I know you do. Well, I was just gonna throw this out there. Okay, um, the idiot man deifies the the female. Mm-hmm. The dog man deifies himself. Yeah. The Christian man deifies the Christ. There you go. Yeah, and I think that's that's where I was going to kind of go with this. When we talk about, like, what is what is the idealized man, we, we obviously have to turn to the scriptures and we look at Christ. Like, what is how does Christ interact with people? How does Christ interact with women, first of all? Like, he's not, he's not ashamed to call out sin when he sees sin, but at the same time, he is the same Christ that's willing to pick somebody up off the ground when he sees a truly repentant and, and sad heart. Christ is not a weak individual. Uh, he may come across as, I don't even want to say, like, 
overly kind, but that's just who he was. I mean, that's that is the idealized the idealized version of a man is that somebody that is kind, but at the same time, that's the same Christ that drove the tax collectors out of the temple when he saw that they were abusing God's house. And so, when we talk about the idealized version of man, we look to Christ immediately because he is the one that sets the example for everybody, not only in like how we are as men, but how we should be as believers in Christ, believers and faithful people. Mm-hmm. I would uh, over certainly overly kind from a human perspective because yeah, we well, can't achieve it. He never did anything for himself. Right, his whole life was built around service. And Paul calls him the author and perfecter of our faith. We mm-hmm. I don't think put enough thought into that concept. Right, he's not only the perfect man. We think about that a lot. He's also perfect at being a man. So yeah. he is an example of what Adam imperfection in the garden would have been like he is a he is an example of what a perfect man is he's the example mm-hmm. of what a perfect man is he's not just a perfect man he's also perfect at being a man and the benefits that come from having strong men i think is emphasized on page 17 in our book where it talks about what man actually does for society itself and it's it's huge the, the list is huge when you have strong men leading the way then it drives away all the forces that would work against the benefit of humanity yeah yeah and to to, to then bring this full circle connor you started by talking about this idea that um we 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 don't need to and we really shouldn't blame the world or women or whatever for what has happened to men. Yep. Men are responsible for what has happened to men. Nothing has been taken from us that we have not willingly given away. Yep. Um, he says, he explicitly states his goal is to get men to stop blaming their times or their fathers or women or whomever for what has befallen them and get on with becoming the righteous men they are called to be. Right. I am not a victim of my circumstances. I am in control of many things, and since I am in control of many things, this is also something which I can't control, and that puts me in a driver's seat. I can go be the man that God created me by grace. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just working to put all these concepts together, and I think the Christian man is like the middle we're looking for, and it's the perfect union of independence and service, and to get to either extreme, the dog man divorces all service and becomes i don't know enthralled with his own independence and the idiot man divorces all independence to become yeah to fall in love be infatuated with submission here's an idea feel free to reject reject it what if we turn it into a triangle and take what were your two service and independence independence and add accountability Mm. ultimate accountability right Mm-hmm. And so you've got a triangle and what rests right in the middle of that. So accountability before the throne of God. Yeah. And what rests in the middle there is I'm accountable for my service and I'm accountable for my independence. Mm-hmm. And when that all three of those things are true, that's the sweet spot. Yeah. I like it. And then the question is, how do we start doing that? And I think at the end of uh, the introduction in chat on page 17, he says, we need to stop living from the I love this. We need to stop <laughs> living from the crotch and start living from a heart where God rules and righteous righteous fire blazes. I thought that was a great line. Yeah, I just love well immediately after that part of the introduction, he 
goes, oh, a few thoughts here. I will be blunt. I will hit hard. I'm not out of control or incapable. I'm just using a tone that good men understand and hunger for. I'm speaking to men in manly terms. Yeah. I'm not angry and, at you. I'm angry for you. And that just that got me really excited to get into this book. Yeah. Just sure. to see how he approaches that well what we what we have been discussing this topic. And sort of the different avenues and all the different things that go about it. I'm excited to to reread the rest of the book. I'm excited to give this book to someone else. So I don't have to read any of the chapters. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was a little bit I, I was a little bit offended. I like, didn't get to read any of the meat, but there was a lot of value in the preface and forward. You got the weekend. Well, you, to can get always, done. <laughs> you can always borrow. Bryce. I have the book. Yeah. 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 Awesome. <laughs> all right. Let's see here. Obscure Bible Trivia. Here we go. Oh, by the way, I'll put a link to the uh, book in the show notes below. So if you want to read along with us, click the link down in the show notes below. It'll be an Amazon link. You can grab the book there. All right. Obscure Christian Trivia. So we've got three questions and then a bonus question at the end. It is a pop culture question, but it's a very, very old. Like, very old pop culture questions. So, so like when you were be a good one. like 10 years ago for you? Knee high. Yeah, like, I mean like the 1600s, off. but yeah. Yeah, yeah like when something. Charlie was a teenager. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so first, one's, uh, first one is uh, just a straight-up question. Second one's multiple choice. Third one also just a question and answer. And then, uh, then your bonus question. Here we go. Number one, what is the name of the Syrian military commander who was cleansed of his leprosy when he washed himself in the Jordan River seven times? Oh. The name of the Syrian military commander who was cleansed of his leprosy you know when he Bryce? washed himself mm-hmm. in the river, Jordan River seven times. Does it start with an N? I'm not going to say it because I heard I want to so win. I assume he doesn't know <laughs> no, it. I don't know. I want to win. I'm pretty sure I know it. But I'll wait for you to say it first, just to make I got sure I'm nothing. right. Okay, everybody I, I say it story. on three. Everybody say your answer on three. One, two, three. Jeff. Naaman. I knew it started with an N. <laughs> you say Jeff? <laughs> You're the worst. Did you say Jeff? <laughs> you are the worst. I knew it started with an N. It I is Naaman. It is Naaman. It okay. is not like, Jeff. Yeah. Jeff was a good guess. I wasn't sure if it was Naaman or Naaman. That's why I wanted oh. you to say it first. But you didn't actually know. Well, it's two A's. N-A-A-M-A-N. So oh, okay. It could be Naaman. Naaman. Yeah. I don't, I He's I probably don't a yeah. shepherd of sheep. Depends where the accent is. Or no, horses. <laughs> shepherd of horses. Oh. Naaman. Oh Thank you for taking a joke that I was a little bit bashful about and just making it <laughs> so much better. So okay, yeah. I don't think better is the right word. Yeah, that. better is not the... <laughs> All right, so we got zero, zero, and Colin's got one point. All right, Colin's in the lead. Here we go. Question number two. King David is recorded to have had many wives, eight of whom are named in Scripture. Which of the following was the first of David's wives? So which one did he marry first? A, Ahinoam, Ahinoam, B, Michael, (laughs) C, Abigail, or D, Bathsheba? Which did he marry first? Ahinoam, Michael, Abigail, Bathsheba. Before you did the multiple choice, I was going to guess Abigail. So I think I'm going to stick with that. Abigail is my favorite story for sure. Well, I guess I'm wrong then. <laughs> I didn't say you were wrong. I didn't say you were wrong. 
Are we doing numbers at the same time, like holding up whichever Ooh, one? Oh, that's a good idea. That way. Yeah. So Michael is Saul's daughter. That, we all know who Bathsheba is. Ahinoam is from some other country. I don't know which country. Mm. I should have written it down. Abigail's the one that like put the tent peg. To the... Nope, she's not. She's the one who, uh, like David, her husband, like dissed David, and David's like, kill him. And she's like, ah, hold on, we'll take care of you. And then he died, and then he married her. All right, so hold up your A, B, C, or D. Ahinoam, Michael, Abigail, Bathsheba. Hold it up on three. One, two, three. It is Michael. Hey. Connor got that one. Connor got that one. So Connor has one. Mike Colin has one. Abigail Bryce has one. zero. Bryce has zero. I'll make a comeback. <laughs> you got it. When we're done with the trivia, remind me that I just remembered my shout out. Oh, nice. <laughs> All right. We will remember. Okay. Question number three. We've got a tie. Here we go. Which Old Testament book is the only one to be written in part on the continent of Africa? Which Old, Old Testament, Testament book is the only one to be written in part on the continent of Africa? Wow. So it's kind of multiple choice, but there's 39 options. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and when you think about it, like there's a bunch of them that just couldn't be. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm so bad at these. I think I know. I, I'm. I think I know it, which means I'm gonna guess Joshua. Okay. Say Zephaniah. Zephaniah. Mm. I was gonna go with something, just a shot in the dark here. I'm gonna say, Hey, guy. Okay, you're all wrong. Uh, no. So I'm going to give you a clue. Okay? Mm-hmm. It would be someone who no longer wanted to live in Israel. Oh. Because of what was going on in Israel, uh, yeah. he no longer wanted to live in Israel. Is it Jeremiah? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Mm. Yep. So Jeremiah 43, Jeremiah chapter 43 a... was written in Egypt. So he warned them. He said, just give in to the Babylonians. They're mm-hmm. coming. Don't bother. And then chapter 43 is written after yeah. he leaves there and goes to Egypt. Do we and know where the Israelites went, were when they were wandering? Because I think you can say that parts of the Sinai Peninsula are in Africa. Technically, the Sinai Peninsula is Asia. It is? Yes. Okay. It goes with Saudi Arabia and not with. Yeah. Because Egypt doesn't extend till there. Yeah, I guess you're right. Egypt begins to, on that side of the Jordan, or not the, of the Red Sea. So Africa is on the modern e- Egypt includes the Sinai Peninsula. Ooh. But maybe, maybe that's, that's a in great Asia. Great question. More research. More research required. All right. That's why I was going to say Joshua because I think it starts right that's, before they cross the Jordan. That's a good call. That's a good call. Yeah. Which would also make Genesis and Exodus likely to mm-hmm. have been written in Africa. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. I don't know where the official Nat Geo Continental Divide is, yeah. though. That'd be it's interesting. Anyway, I Genesis didn't know. Paper. I straight up did not know that <laughs> Jeremiah was written in Egypt, that any part of Jeremiah was written in Egypt. I, I've read the book of Jeremiah. It just never occurred to me that he would have written it yeah, from Egypt. We did yeah. that 
a little bit last year in Hebrew. Yeah. And that he was he he did leave. We talked about that and he went. Oh, to that yeah for the for the uh, um, elective. Is that what? Uh, no, in no, our in our regular Hebrew, we did just okay. chunks of Jeremiah. That's right. I, it feels like so long. It does. does. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we still have a two-way tie. Uh, we'll say it's double points, so Bryce can can also win. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> All right, Double's here we go. Good. Pop culture from a long time ago. Published in 1678, oh, this wow. Christian allegory is regarded as the greatest and most impactful work of Christian fiction ever written. Its author was imprisoned in England oh. for wor- for holding worship services outside the purview of the cr- Church of England. The story follows the protagonist Christian, his name is Christian, as he travels from his hometown, the City of Destruction, to the Celestial City on Mount Zion. What is the name of the book and who wrote it? Oh, who wrote it? Is it Paradise Lost by John Milton? Great guess. Oh, incorrect. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that doesn't... uh, Yeah. We're th- that's the uh, Seminary Great Book Club guess. book, and I read the first couple pages. It doesn't start in the City of Destruction, though. The Giver by Scott Fitzgerald? No, no, <laughs> no. no. Also not by Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> and definitely not from 1678. <laughs> Is it? Uh, no. It's on the bookshelf back there. My second guess was screw tape Letters, but that is No, that's wrong. not that old. Not Dante's Inferno, is it? Nope. No, that's also on the bookshelf back there, though. Church History 101? <laughs> yeah. Is it called 101? Oh, no, know. that'd be hilarious. You can't read those from here. To philosophy. When was it written? 1678. From the City of Destruction. And it's not Paradise Lost by Melton. It's not. Robert so, Danker. So You're going to kick yourself. It was a city, but it was got destroyed. All right. His uh, The so. author's name is John Bunyan. Yeah, I don't... I don't know what that is. There was a movie that came out within the last two years. There was a movie that came out. Yeah, I think on uh, I think the same people that made like the Chosen and stuff. Fast X. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> All right, The Pilgrim's Progress. Oh, oh I never heard of it. Yeah, no. Really? No. <laughs> oh no, it's pretty fascinating. Nothing. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Bryce, Bryce will give you a point for trying. Sweet. So it's a three-way tie. Wait. Yeah. So many wins. <laughs> I'll be honest. When I'm listening to this in my car, I beat Bryce every time. <laughs> every single. Oh, you time. gotta. You gotta give us a bonus question, so there can be. There can only be another one bonus question. There can only mm-hmm. be one winner. All right. That's just another how it goes. bonus. What year question. was Charlie born in? Oh On this gosh. day in church history. 1789. <laughs> Christopher Columbus. And here we go. Another pop culture question. All right. Another pop culture question. Famously, the, uh, the decline of the Lutheran Church has been traced back to the death of the Lutheran Hour. But there is still a public radio show put out by Lutherans for Lutherans. What is it called? Is it this one? Is it this one? <laughs> Are we on Don't it right now? <laughs> Don't say Kurt up. Don't say A Kurt radio up. show? Yep. Oh, oh wow. People still listen to radio? You the said syndicated power of power. Lutheran radio show. Uh Time of Grace. Um 
Oof. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't get the pop, lost. the pop culture ones right. All right. Issues etc. is the name of that. Oh, um, I just... Who was I talking to about that? <laughs> no way. No, I'm being serious. <laughs> I mean, I it's a big deal. It's not a small thing. Oh, I was talking... Hedrick. Said, we were talking with Hedrick yes, about it. Yes, we were. Yes, oh, we on were. Friday. Yeah, on Friday yeah. night. Yeah. You're right, we were. We wow. Were. Okay, really here's another here's another pop culture one that you might get. Okay. <laughs> Which famous international brewery, two different times in its history, has said the inheritor of the company resigned from headship of the company to become a priest in the Anglican church. Is it the Guinness Brewery? Yes, it is. Oh. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, Should be easy because there's a Guinness around every corner in Anglican church history. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Cool. Oops, I accidentally did something here. There we go. All right. So Colin wins. Bryce didn't want to be tied, so Colin <sighs> wins. Man. All right, uh, top three this week. Top that, three. That shout out that I was talking about. Oh yeah, that before, shout out that I remembered. Ahead. I wanted to say, shout out to Spotify because right now they're doing audiobooks free with premium, and you can get Mere Christianity for free. Ooh. totally awesome. The narrator sounds like the perfect cross between. Mark Faustian and C.S. Lewis. It's so great to <laughs> listen to. It's actually image. Mark Faustian just speaking <laughs> with a British accent. Yeah. And the other podcast that I've been listening to is D- Dust and Breath. It's, Dust and Breath. I've heard I, of it. Yeah. I've never listened to it's, it. It's um, Pastor Ethan Cherney, and it's character studies from the Bible. And that's why I like knew this story about Abigail. It's some super obvious ones like David, but some super obscure ones. Great devotional, free on Spotify. You're probably listening to this on Spotify right now. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Very, very mm-hmm. cool. All right. This one, this could get heated. This could get heated. I yeah. know one I'm of ready to gonna fight. Be, I, I, one of them's gonna I know be. what my not top three is for sure. I also know that I'm kind of basic, but I stand by my answers. Mm. Okay. But my number three, I don't think anybody else is going to have. And I didn't have it until this summer, and I love it. But, yeah. Uh, I'll just start. Okay, yeah. top three best fr- food franchise. Starting sandwiches. at number three. Starting at number three. Okay, mm-hmm. so this has to be a franchise, right? And it has to be a sandwich. I'm gonna go with Runza, the, specifically the Runza mushroom Swiss sandwich. It is. A, it's a Nebraska thing, so it's basically like a. It's like a. I'm trying to think of how to describe it. Even it's kind of like the world's best hot pocket. So, so it's in, not a sandwich. instead yeah. of no, it is a sandwich because it's like French bread around the outside, mm-hmm. and then the inside is I think it's um, sauerkraut and beef, and then they put like different stuff in it. But it, like the bread, they bake the bread around the meat, mm. so it's yeah, it's like a hot pocket, and the mushroom Swiss I mean, they're all good. Mushroom Swiss is absolutely phenomenal. If you're going through Nebraska, man, and I think they maybe got a couple in Iowa. But Runza, R-U-N-Z-A. Interesting. Never Runza. heard of it before. Yeah, run, the Runza Mushroom Swish Sandwich. Love it. Love it. I was also going to go the Mushroom Swish Sandwich. Mushroom and Swish Burger. <laughs> it's harder to say than Mushroom, mushroom <laughs> and Swiss Burger from Whataburger. From Whataburger. I've never yeah. had Whataburger. Whataburger is... I hate mushrooms. I don't know. I think Whataburger is one of the best... Um, 
fast food burgers. fast food burgers that you can get. It's it's not it's only three though because it's not as iconic for me, at least. So that's why it's at number three. But I think it's very good. Is there a Whataburger around here somewhere? No, it's all it, south. Yeah, uh, yeah. Texas, and mainly Texas. It spans like half the country. If you don't know where it is, <laughs> <laughs> but then yeah, like Alabama, Mississippi, those places. Mm-hmm. All right, my number three. Nobody's gonna like this, but I love these, and I've survived. I survived off them for a long time. Wendy's Baconator. Right away, number three. It's a great Wendy's pick. Baconator. I don't, I don't hate that. It's a great it depends pick. on the Wendy's. It really does. It you can get some. On the you can get some really bad Baconators. <laughs> They've got pretzel, pretzel bun Baconators oh, now yeah. that I really enjoy. But yeah, the Baconator. I've eaten a few too many of those in my life. <laughs> Amen to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Over spring break, we flew to Colorado last spring, and went to a Wendy's at like ten minutes before they closed, and they. They were upset and just made the worst food possible for us. <laughs> the, there's a Wendy's right around the corner at, uh, like, from both St. Marcus and from Saloa. Like, it's the closest fast food. Well, not at St. Marcus, there was a McDonald's. Uh, actually, the Wendy's isn't even there anymore. But at, when I was teaching at Saloa, if you forgot your lunch or you just needed, like, a break and you ran out during lunch to get fast food, it had to be Wendy's. Mm-hmm. And it was the worst Wendy's. Like wow. it, the everything was always greasy and soggy, and it just kind of ruined Wendy's for me. There's some bad Wendy's out there. Yeah, I've also had great Wendy's over the years. But yep, that yep. that one kind of ruined it for me. Colin, what you got? Number three. Number three. Number three. Quarter pounder with cheese. Yeah. <sighs> McDonald's is consistent, and McDonald's, I think, for all Luther Prep students, holds a special place because it is <laughs> the most walkable fast food in watertown <laughs> fair enough i see i used to be like a quarter pounder guy and then i spent too much time with gustav who is like a a a mcdonald's loyalist wow. and we've road tripped a few times where he just says give me 20 bucks and you hand him a 20 dollar bill and he walks into mcdonald's and walks out with a somehow manages to walk out with a bag full of much more than 20 dollars worth of burgers mm-hmm. and after like three or four of them, they just all taste like cardboard. Yeah, really <laughs> and don't. then it's hard to digest them. That's fair. We'll leave, we'll leave it at that. It is, it is terrible food, but it's comfort food. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it hits the spot. It hits the spot. All right, mm-hmm. my number two. I know it's basic, but the Chick Fil A spicy chicken sandwich. You oh gotta be my god, that was my number two. So good, and you put the fries in a shake with it. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's what a, really a sandwich. Good one. What a sandwich. Now i got to go with my backup. It's got to be the spicy, though. It's got to be the spicy. I think, um, I think I'm think i going to top your number two with my number two. It's the Arby's roast beef sandwich oh. with horsey sauce. It is good. <coughs> Terrible. You don't like that? I hate uh, those. I, I'm a horseradish guy. I know I, you either are or you are I don't mind the horseradish. I, I love horsey sauce. Yeah. Bryce and I were in this situation where we had free Arby's three days a week. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's an interesting situation to find oneself in. It was awesome. It was great, but man, that roast beef does not taste good close together. I don't know. I loved it. I would. I would. I loved eating Arby's food. Don't get me wrong, but I could not. I like to be regular with Arby's. Ar- Again, roast beef. the Arby's in New Ulm just was subpar. There was an Arby's in New Ulm. Yeah, over by Quick Trip, or not by Quick Trip, over by uh, Walmart. Oh, sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. That yeah. place yeah. was scary. There's Never... a reason nobody went there. I thought that was a Hardee's. That's how bad it was. 
Is that I thought it was an Arby's? I think yeah. you're right. It's a Hardee's. Yeah. It's a Hardee's. Yeah. Or is it an Arby's? It's a Hardee's. It's, it's a Hardee's. 100%. 100 Because if there was Arby's in New Orleans, I would Jr. be there. Yeah. No, it's, it's not definitely Carl's Jr. You're north of the Mason Dixon. <laughs> this way it's got a map. Carl's Jr. There used to be a Carl's Jr. in, uh, in Lacrosse. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know why. It was just random. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> What's your no? Oh, you did your number two. Yeah, uh, my your... number two. It was going to be the Chick Fil A spicy chicken sandwich, but instead I'll go with the Carl or the Cousins uh, steak bacon cheddar cheese sandwich. I've had a couple of those, and I mainly go to Cousins because I like to eat their uh, cheese curds. Really good cheese Best curds. Best fast food cheese curds. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Way better than Culver's. I agree. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I'll order the Culver's cheese curds every once in a while, but yeah. those are the I'd, best fast just... food cheese curds. Kelvin and I go to uh, Culver's every. You know mm. what? No, because that's going to ruin my number one. No, Cafe <laughs> Cafe Hollander has some pretty good cheese curds. Those aren't fast food though. Yeah, that's not fast food. It is a French. I ate it pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> they are good. They are good. That's where I went on my good. birthday. Yeah. I actually Connor um, bought uh, cheese curds at Foxtown here in in Mequon. Oh, that's right. That's ago. where we went. Yeah. And I would say maybe even better than. Uh, Hmm. Really? Well, I haven't been. They're there. they're definitely like fair style, like state fair style cheese curds. Mm-hmm. Whereas the ones at uh, Hollander are not. Yeah. Like they're very much like restaurant cheese curds, but they're different style. They're good though. Yeah, they're good. What's your so does too? that count as fast food or does that count as a sub? It's fast. It's food. called a sandwich on their website. I checked. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, mine is a sandwich, and it's a freaky fast food. Jimmy John's, number seven, the Vito with extra mayo. Hmm. That's a sub. Ooh. That doesn't count. That's it's a, a sandwich. Sandwich. Are different what is sub. What does sub mean, Charlie? What is the sub long version of sandwich. sub? <laughs> I don't have a leg to stand on, but Sub-mer- I'm still going to be ab- obstinate here. <laughs> Submarine sandwich. Sandwich. You're right. You're right. You're right. You know why they call I'm it. Yours was a glorified hot pocket, okay? I'll be honest. Yeah, that That's is fair. Do you guys know the history of why it's called a submarine sandwich, though? Because it looks like a hoagie? Because it no. looks like a torpedo I missile? I always thought it was because it looks like a submarine. I thought it no, looked like a torpedo no. missile. No, no. So actually, the history behind why it's called sub is because, or submarine sandwiches, because this is what they made to, like, pack and store on submarines. So they... Like Someone this long, I this really long wish type I could sandwich. believe you. Uh, yeah, not <laughs> I really it. want to believe you. <laughs> I'll look it up again. That's fine. What's your number one, Charlie? My number one. Let's see, I backed out because I was already Googling <laughs> just to prove Brian's <laughs> wrong. <laughs> All right, uh, my number one. I know, I know, I'm basic, but In and Out Animal Style Double Double Cheeseburger. <laughs> oh yeah, that's my gross. You that's gross. Cannot, you that's cannot gross. like In and Out and be from Wisconsin. You are officially okay. from Illinois. Culver's now, is great. Culver's is. I've never lived in Illinois a day of my life. Don't put that on me. Yes. Don't put that on. In and Out fries are. I mean, In and Out burgers are better. Culver's fries are better. That's Yuck. what I will say. Uh, in and out refuses to use no, real cheese, and it's In and Out is so terrible. much better than Culver's, though. No, like, In and Out is around. better than Culver's, but Culver's is the best we've got around here. Culver's was the literally fast food. In and Out, mad overrated. I'm going straight. Mad overrated. In and Out, yes. Oh, that, man. I looked at this and said, "Whoever says In and Out, I'm going to be upset about." <laughs> <laughs> I, I it's the best experience I've had. I oh, so good. The burger, now, granted, the, we were the in beef Studio patty, City, so is very good. The cheese and the bun, 
make the patty terrible. Animal style makes up for it, though. We can agree to disagree, I think. Animal style is fine. Like, it's, it's good. I, to be fair, I've, I've had one good one, and I've had one where I waited like five minutes, and it got freezing cold, and it was just terrible. <laughs> That's why they call it the fast lines food. Are awful. You gotta eat it fast. I thought yeah. the lines at Chick-fil-A were bad. The lines at In-N-Out <laughs> are ridiculous. I mean, uh, the lines the, at Chick-fil-A are also ridiculous. Unless you go there when yeah, it's but not they're busy. Quick. Chick-fil-A's quick. Pretty quick. They yeah. are pretty quick. What's During our COVID, one? I was in Phoenix and... Uh, so there was an In-N-Out nearby. That's the only reason it's relevant. But I got very used to driving two blocks to the grocery store, and that was it. So I had like a tenth of a tank of gas. And I was like, I'll just go to In-N-Out. Gaslight went on on the way there. And then I sat in line for 40 minutes just praying that I could get out of that line. That, and during COVID, there was like 50 cars there during dinner yeah, time. Yeah, I bet. Oh, man. Well, that's yeah. why it was slow. I made it home. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, All right, your number one. So my number one isn't necessarily like the best sandwich or burger that I've had from fast food, but it's fast definitely food, the one that's been there through my highs and lows. And it's been with me when I've been crying, when I've been crying tears of joy, many, a couple dates, too. It is the... Big Mac or the Whopper? Don't say it yet. It's the Whopper. You think so? Mm-hmm. I think it's the Big Mac. McChicken. Make McChicken? your guess. Make your guesses. It's the Whopper. I can't be the McChicken. There's no way you took a girl on a date and said McChicken. Oh, yeah. Well, this I'm is like lose, after... No, I'm this is lose. like after a couple months of dating. Like, oh, okay. like, oh That's, different. Having, That's let, different. Let's That's meet different. at a McDonald's. <laughs> okay, he's defending the chicken sandwich way too hard here. It chicken. is the McChicken. All right, as long as you didn't say filet of fish. Because they always have the like two for two deals or two for three deals, and you can just get so many of them. And it's they're always the same. I will say, though, back when I was living out west, the spicy McChicken, they have spicy McChickens back there, or over there, and it, they are awesome. But I've had McChicken and, yeah, McChickens had. in general are just the most iconic. It is iconic. Yeah. Uh, sandwich in my life, so. That is my number one. Definitely the remote under him. (laughs) It must be stuck in your chair. Yeah. All right. Shorts turning it on. (laughs) My number one, I think, is obvious. It's going to be the McRib. Oh (laughs) Oh, my goodness! (laughs) It's back. No, uh, it's actually the The Culver's calf tonight. weren't bad. Those were pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. The Culver's double bacon butter burger. No, I think that is the best burger. Deluxe. I don't normally go for the deluxe. Oh, I love the deluxe. It was actually rated America's top burger. So, well, again, that's wrong. Really? That's, yeah. that's false. Yeah. Who was it rated by? Culver's? <laughs> <laughs> Kelvin and I go every Sunday after church and we stop at Culver's. Oh, that's awesome. And we get the butter burger. And he eats it about five minutes faster than I do, and it's fantastic to watch. I, just, I would love to see. I Two dressed up gross twins looking across from each other. I would love to know what the conversation Those two is. Faces peeking like into the in window. The, in the restaurant. There is no conversation. <laughs> these two, yeah, it's these two big men. Shirt and ties. Pull up every Sunday at noon outside the window in order. And they're just peeking in the window, smiling. Yep. <laughs> no, we go inside. We sit down. Oh, we, we, it's fancy. We sit Did you down. You evangelize the people inside no, too. No. That would be. Techner wouldn't be happy. Techner wouldn't be proud. I know. 
They sit across from each we other. We do. We do. <laughs> they sit. They sit across from each other in silence, just and their beards looking touch. at each other. They yeah. take synchronous bites. So, <laughs> actually, we just like we we look at each other and we'll be like, so you, gotta, you, gotta brush, "You gotta brush out the stuff in your beard." <laughs> there are no no words, no words. There's no time for words. The kid eats. A burger, fries, and usually like some type of ice cream before I finish my burger. It's incredible. I've never seen anything like they're, it. They're so ritualistic that the Culver's employees will just flip the sign to closed whenever they see yeah. him coming in. <laughs> this is their time. Yeah. <laughs> they just pull up and he's just like thirteen ninety eight. They I'm put up the quiet signs. <laughs> <laughs> to this, to this, the day that you and Kelvin and I went to. Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings. Oh, that together. was so good. It was fantastic because we went there, so we drove there, and I was like, I was like, I really want cheese curds, but I was like, I don't want to share with these two monsters. Like, I don't want to share them. And we all ordered our own cheese curd and and what twenty wings a piece or something like that. So good, fantastic. Yeah, and the, the waitress like sarcastically was like, "Oh, is that it? It's like the table's gonna collapse under <laughs> yeah. the weight of this food." Yeah. All right. What's your, your number, number one? one? I I've changed it. Three times since Charlie said his number one, <laughs> I was I was gonna say Culver's Bacon Burger mm-hmm. or Culver's Butter Burger Bacon Deluxe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was gonna say the um, Luke Schlemmer original. <clears throat> you take a McChicken, you take a McDouble, get rid of the bottom buns and put them together. Yep, that's so a good. One. good. Yeah, Makes my good. heart hurt. Yeah, it does. But it's so good. Especially but the, the real answer, one. which has been totally slighted, waiting till the last is Five Guys. Ooh. It is the best. Fast food burger, undeniable. Oh, it's not so fast though, but I, I understand what it's you're fast saying. Enough. <laughs> you could eat it pretty this fast. This is an too. unpopular opinion. I'm not a huge fan of Five Guys. Yeah, that's because okay. well, you like you're not a man. So you know. yeah, <laughs> you're not a man. Remember that Venn diagram we were talking about? Before? <laughs> you're yeah. on a whiteboard in the other no. room. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't like the fries. Ugh. I don't the like the fries. The There's too much potato. I don't want potato. I just you want you fried get the Cajun, and salt. You get the Cajun fries. I just want fried and salt. Yeah. I want oil and salt. That's all I want. And then yeah. uh, and a little bit of crunch. Yep. I'm done. This has been the, the Gerda Podcast. Five guys. <laughs> five guys fries are so all right. perfect. All right. Well, yes. I'll tell you what. If you take me to Five Guys, I can't afford it. I'll try it again. <laughs> Geiger says I'm not allowed to. <laughs> It's too much of an investment. Yeah. We, we can't finance that. Yeah. Send him an email that says, can I take out a couple bucks to go to Five Guys? For real. Ooh. Ooh. Speaking uh, of Five Guys. So when we were driving, from when Colin and I road tripped down to Alabama to go to Caleb Lindholm's wedding, on the way driving back up to Wisconsin, we stopped at a Five Guys. And we were just having a jolly time talking, whatever, and... <laughs> All of a sudden, this it was, four, it was four of us. Yeah, it was four of us, and this older, this older couple, this, and this lady came up to us and was like, "Oh, you guys just seem like so. You guys seem so nice, and like just the way you interact with each other. And we want to buy buy your lunch." So we, all of us got five guys for free, and it was awesome. So shout out that lady. What, <laughs> did you say there were five of you? Four. Four of us. Oh. So four guys date. and five guys. Say so maybe maybe that's the magic formula. Is if you take five, five guys, guys to <laughs> five guys, some this little lady will show up and pay for your food. <laughs> and pay for your so food. Nice. Yeah, that that's a great story. Always <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. Awesome. All right, this week in church, it's Lent, second week in. So 
Professor Christie was very clear. Mm-hmm. It is not the second week of Lent. It is the second Sunday in, in Lent. Lent. Mm-hmm. But right? it, it is the second week of Lent, not second Sunday of Lent. Yeah. Yeah. Very important, apparently. <laughs> it so, is. To well, us. To count 40, you have to, to skip the that's Sundays. That's true. That's true. That's true. <clears throat> All right. Anyway, um, so the epistle reading is from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And it reads as follows. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace, into this grace, in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good one, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that um, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now that I know Greek well enough to like read it mm-hmm. kind of off the page, it makes English so clunky. <laughs> you know, like he just says much more than that, even more over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. But in Greek, there's just one little like word attack on the front. Yeah, it's a lot less awkward in Greek. It's uh, whoever that is making you use the ESV mm-hmm. doesn't like smooth reading. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The first thing that I noticed in this one was the sort of progression that he makes in, uh, what verse is that? I can't read it. Three, I believe it starts, where he starts with, we rejoice in sufferings. Because sufferings produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And I, I thought back to the quote a little bit when he talked about um, when it says endurance, our, our manly quote of the day from Jean Jacques or whatever his name was. Yep. Because our endurance and our sufferings is that battle with the old sinful flesh and the old man in us. And just seeing how even though we're in this battle and we are suffering, but we have endurance. And in that we have hope. And I just, that's a beautiful thing. I think, because it's showing us that even though we are suffering and even though sin is terrorizing us, we still have hope in this one thing, that is Christ. Even more, we rejoice in it, right? Mm-hmm. And we rejoice in it because suffering is ultimately for our good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, it took, I had to puzzle a little bit over this idea. Character produces hope and hope will not put us to shame. Um, and I, I had to struggle with that a little bit. Like what was he talking about when he says hope will not put us to shame? And the best I could come up with is that um, hope will not put us to shame because it's that hope is in something that's secure, mm-hmm. right? It's something like Christ's sacrifice for us is not something which can be moved or broken down or shaken or changed or whatever it might be. So ultimately, the hope 
is rooted in Christ's sacrifice for me. And because it is rooted in something which is so secure, it cannot be shaken. Well, look at the second half of that verse that you were just reading there. Hope And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. So Christ has been poured into our hearts, and our and our hope in him is the thing that gives us the firmest foundation in life. I think a simpler way to think about it, just the part of hope will not put us to shame, is that if since we are hoping in this one thing that is unbreakable, unsound, our eternal welfare and our eternal life, we will be exalted. Whereas if someone were to put their hope in themselves or something earthly, they will be humbled. They will be put to shame because their hope is not in the right place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I was thinking about one of the most shameful things like that I... I've felt is like when you when you have this idea and you're running with it and it's just going and going and you're super optimistic about it and someone just gut checks you and says <laughs> that'll never happen that yeah. oh, that is just the fall from the heights and that will never happen here because it is through the Holy Spirit who has been given in us that we have this hope there there's no one who can pull that rug out from under us I think the most striking verses in this section for me are verses seven and eight and i think it's like it's incredible to read that when you think about people who have who have done the ultimate thing and laid down their lives for other people like they'll do it for an innocent old lady they'll do it for their their uh their friend in war or something like that and very rarely do you hear about somebody willingly putting their lives down for somebody that doesn't deserve to be protected and then to hear in verse 8 how Christ didn't discriminate. He picked the people that deserve it the least, the ones who rightly deserve God's judgment, each and every one of us, and yet still willingly laid down his life for us. I think those two verses have always struck me very hard. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, not one of us is that person mm-hmm. who deserves it, too. Like, just to th- he make, like the comparison you were making of... Like here on earth, people lay down their lives for people who, in a way, deserve it. or And mm-hmm. then people don't lay down their lives for people that don't. We are, I feel like sometimes we have a misconception of saying, oh, Christ died for me because I believe in him. Or I mm-hmm. do this, or I do that. or. But it's not that at all. It's that. Even though we believe in Jesus, we don't deserve that love, that protection, Jesus laying down his life for us, as much as the guy who doesn't believe in him, as much as the guy who believes in other gods. He died for everyone, no matter what, because we are all in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Well, and in verses 1 and 2, he, the emphasis is on faith. He keeps saying the word faith over and over and over again. It is by faith we have been justified. By faith we have peace, and in faith that we rejoice. And, that's and, and then follows that immediately by saying, we obtain access to faith through Christ and his sacrifice. Yeah, so it's not right? even something we do ourselves. Our right. faith isn't our own. Yeah, and you, you want to find a, a biblical foundation for Lutheranism. It's right there. Yeah. Right? Unapologetically, somebody described this podcast as unapologetically Lutheran, and they meant it as an insult, and I went, thank you. <laughs> Thank you, right? But like, th- I can't find a clearer case of not by my own thinking or choosing. Yeah, 
I uh, I was talking to a Baptist girl last fall, Ooh. and it it ended about because of this stuff. But we were she she came at my faith, and in a way that really hurt. Just talking about didn't think I would go to heaven because I had never done anything to deserve it, and I I didn't get baptized by confession of faith. I was baptized as a baby. And the one that really just hammered it home for me that I was saved while I was still a sinner. There was absolutely nothing mm-hmm. that I could have done and still could do to right my relationship with God. And this is the, this is, this verse exactly, the verse eight was what kind of put all my doubts, put all my doubts to bed. That it is when you were still a sinner. Yeah. Even more than that. Verse 10, we were enemies. Enemies of God. Who would who would willingly lay down, lay down their life for their enemy? Well, and and talk about the picture of a loving God. He saw all of this, and in spite of all of this, in response to all of this, he says, "Okay, well, all right, I'll give you my righteousness." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that the word reconciliation is often overlooked as just one of those Lutheran terms because in this entire in this entire 11 verses, he doesn't say reconciliation until the last two verses. And reconciliation is essentially what he talks about in these verses summed up. And reconciliation is the restoration of our relationship with God. Mm. And I didn't fully, I guess, realize the implications of what that meant until going through the Greek and understanding what that means in the Greek and sort of just seeing how it all fits together in context. You don't realize how amazing that is when you just sort of, Oh, reconciliation. Mm -hmm. No, it's reconciliation. I don't know. It's awesome. I I reconciliation. It's a reconciliation. Well, you got to say it with some pop because it's to add to that. I think some of the best gospel comfort I've ever been given was from, President Trepto, not even like we weren't like one-on-one counseling, but just in his class, I was having a bad day. I thought my sins had finally caught up to my faith and sin one, but he just said God knew that God knew these sins that you think you beat him with and he still died for you and took them away. And God knew what you're going to do tomorrow and God knew what you're going to do until the day you die. And he still said, I'm going to come down and clear your record of that and that is just so amazing i cannot do enough to ruin this yeah yeah i cannot do enough to screw this up that's hope (laughs) it's the hope we have it's founded hope it's a well-founded hope yep awesome all right anything anybody wants to add Thanks for doing these again. This is awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. I love this so much. It's been too long. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, we'll look for you guys again next week. Go with the minute mm-hmm. God created you to be. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you, Colin, for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. All right. Have a good week, fellas. <laughs>